All right. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I hope you have your Bible with you this morning. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 10 to uh, 10 down to 20 this morning. Matthew 15, 10 to 20. And the question we're asking this morning is about what kind of a heart do we have? Do we have a clean heart, or do we have one that is defiled? And that's what's uh, of interest to God. Now, we are those that I believe are concerned in this life all the time. We're concerned with how it is that we approach God. Uh, We know that God is holy, that he is good, that he is kind, and he also is our friend. But we also know that we need to approach God in certain ways, and that is, uh, number one, with reverence and humility. And we want to come into his presence in an acceptable way. We've talked about how in the Old Testament uh, you didn't just walk into God's presence. You had to go through, depending on what you did, uh, since the last time, five different sacrifices. One of those is a whole burnt offering. And before you got that done, you could not have fellowship with God until you got to the peace offering at the end. Jesus is our peace offering, and he's already fulfilled all the offerings of the Old Testament. So we get to just walk into church and love Jesus, and he loves us, and we don't have to worry about sin because he's taking care of that on the cross. Uh, But we still want to come in an acceptable way. And we know that we should not approach him with uh, what the Bible calls blood guiltiness on our hands. In other words, where we've done something wrong or wicked or evil, uh, we don't approach God without taking care of that first. So the issue is, how do we approach God? If you'll take your your text and turn back to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, King David had something to say about this issue. And it's uh, just 10 verses, so I thought I'd read all of them. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 10. And here's what it says. The earth is Yahweh's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? So he's talking about Mount Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where the temple of God would be. Who may ascend into the presence of God is the question. So who may ascend to the hill of Yahweh? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, He shall receive a blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And so he's talking about the gates of Jerusalem and using them as if they were alive and and presenting uh, themselves before the king. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of armies. He is the king of glory. So even in the Old Testament, David is saying, we need to be careful how we approach God and how we come to his holy hill. And we want to come with clean hands and a clean heart. So today the issue is going to be about uh, what's the difference between a clean hand on the outside and the cleanliness that God wants on the inside, and why does he use hands uh, to illustrate that? Well, he will speak in terms of the difference between ritual purity and heart purity. They're, They're absolutely different things. One is really important. The other one is really not that important. What did David mean when he said that those who ascend to the mountain of Yahweh must have clean hands 
and a pure heart. Did David mean that before you approach God up at the temple, you needed to scrub down and get completely clean like this surgeon did a while ago? Spend that much time making sure everything's clean, making sure you do that. Uh, some time ago, the hospital uh, was running a, a little test here to see how well you were washing your hands. And so uh, Christine put some stuff on my hands. And I had to rub it all over my hands, uh, some kind of lotion-like stuff. Couldn't see it. And then I was to go wash my hands, see how good a job I did. I'll admit I tried a little harder, okay, uh, than normally, but I, I really scrubbed them down. I came back, and there was a little, little bitty tiny spot of that stuff right in the middle of my hand. And, and she looked at it and said, well, pretty good most places, but you didn't get that. And I didn't have clean hands. And so when you're in the hospital, you're supposed to have clean hands on the outside. That counts. But that's not what God is talking about. And let's read our text this morning. So we're in chapter 15, 10 through 20. Now I want to remind you that the Pharisees traveled 80 miles to confront Jesus with the fact in, in verses 1 through 9, to confront Jesus with the fact that you don't tell your disciples to wash their hands before they eat. You're violating the traditions of men and you're not, you're not uh, in compliance with us. And so you are a transgressor and you are not doing what, the God, what God commands. Jesus said, I am doing what God commands. God didn't say we had to wash our hands. You did. That's your tradition. What God said was that we need to have clean hearts before we approach him. And he said, you guys defy the commandment of God uh, by your traditions of men. So uh, Jesus, having just dealt with them, he said they, they worship in vain. They're not, they don't really belong to him. So in verse 10, he calls the crowds that are around to him so he can say this. So it says in verse 10, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. Remember that in the Bible, you haven't heard God or you haven't listened to God if you aren't doing what God said. If, you're not, if you haven't heard God and you haven't listened to God, you're not actually uh, following God. Hearing means doing. So Jesus calls him here, makes it clear. Listen to what I'm going to say and understand what I'm going to say. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? These are the guys that came 80 miles or so to, to get to Jesus, to confront him about tradition. And uh, they failed because Jesus showed them where their, their uh, being wrong in their belief was. And that offended them. Jesus offends the religious leaders often. Wait till we get to chapter 23 if you want to know how offended they can be because Jesus is going to uh, literally tear them apart in terms of their false spirituality and the fact that they're leading people not to God but to Satan. In verse 13 he says, But he answered and said, speaking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. Talking about the religious leaders. They are blind guides and some later manuscripts of the text add the words of the blind, which really does fit the text, so it's not going to bother us. But anyway, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes out the stomach and uh, this, this is uh, treated euphemistically for us in the English text, uh, but he says, and is eliminated. 
But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile man. I want to look at verses 10 and 11 first of all. If you're following along in your bulletin, uh, their notes are in there. Number one, we must understand what defiles a man is that which comes out of his mouth, not the food that goes into it. That's simply just a restatement of what Jesus is saying. It's not what comes out uh, into your mouth, the food. It's what goes out of your mouth because what you have come out of your mouth comes from your heart. So uh, first, I think that we should be reminded of chapter 15, uh, which I did a briefly there in verses 2 and 3. So if you want to turn back to that. The, the accusation against Jesus was, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Then Jesus gave them an example of that, how you guys get out of taking care of your parents by acting like it's a spiritual thing to do, and it's not. So Jesus was accused of promoting the obliteration of the tradition of the spiritual leaders. And he did. That's true. We're talking about the traditional rules on hand washing the religious leaders held to. We talked about the fact that that was from the oral law, not the written law. And the oral law ends up becoming uh, what is known as the Gemara and then uh, the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, those are not the word of God. That's just the tradition of men. Uh, this is not the law of God that you have to wash your hands before you eat. Now, sometimes I think it's a good idea, right? Depends on what you've been doing, right? Um, I used to have to milk cows early in the morning, and uh, the girls would bring down our breakfast. You had to eat it while you're milking. There's, you can wash, but it's not going to do any good. And, uh, you know, somehow I lived through that. But there's other times I would have preferred maybe to wash my hands. But that's not the point that God is making. That God is not saying it's not a good thing to wash your hands. He's just saying it doesn't do anything for the inside. As hard as that surgeon scrubbed, it didn't do anything to affect what was inside of him. And I don't know him, so I'm not saying anything either way, but uh, that's the point. This that they're bringing up was not the law of God, but rather it was the rules of men. And the rules of men, if they're apart from the law of God, is something that we need to say does not bring holiness and does not necess necessarily mean you're going to be righteous. Sometimes men have righteous rules. Sometimes they say to do the right thing. But just by doing them, it doesn't make you a righteous person before God. We call that stuff legalism. Jesus wants to deal with the issue a, a little bit more because there's a lot to it. So in verse 10, he calls for the crowds that are there to come over and get near so they can hear. And in the hearing of the Pharisees, uh, he calls the crowd to him and emphasizes that he wants people to hear and understand what he's going to teach because what he wants to teach is the truth. What happened? The Pharisees came along and they taught error. The Pharisees came along and they weren't dealing with what God really wanted to be dealt with. And so Jesus is going to set up straight right in front of the Pharisees and they're not going to like it. But he wants the people to know the difference. So he calls them together. In verse 11, what enters the mouth, Jesus said, so everybody's thinking about food because that's what enters the mouth. What enters the mouth is inconsequential to the issues of defilement in terms of what comes out of a mouth, which does uh, bear consequences depending on what comes out. He is not saying that everything we can eat is good for us. He didn't say that. 
he is saying that whatever we eat, it is not capable of defiling us morally, ethically, spiritually, or in our holiness or our righteousness. Uh, some people like different foods. Some people like to eat things I wouldn't want to eat. I eat things they don't really want to eat. doesn't matter. Whatever we eat and goes into our mouth does not defile us and is not defiling for us to do so. The word defile means to offend someone or to attack the moral purity of something. So Jesus is saying your moral purity to God does not depend on not washing your hands or washing them. It depends on what's on your heart. Is it clean or is it defiled? The Pharisees made a big deal out of the ritual importance of hand washing. If you're going to do surgery on somebody, it is important that you wash your hands, but it, it doesn't change the inside of the person. And uh, the importance of washing hands before the meal is what the Pharisees say is important and godly. And Jesus says that just isn't the issue with God. The Pharisees have the erroneous belief that clean hands means to wash with water. They don't have a clue to what David was saying. David did not say, who gets to go to the hill of God, a man with clean hands and a pure heart. He did not at all mean that there needs to be ritual washing before you go see God. They didn't understand it at all. <clears throat> well, what did David mean? David meant that if you have clean hands, you're not guilty of, of sin, corruption, wickedness, or evil. One does not wash away sin with soap and water. And so in the book of Leviticus, it says that there are people that sin with a high hand. And I always think about when I was a kid in basketball, uh, I, I was not a basketball star by any means. I got to play four seconds in a B game once, okay? So I'm not, but I know, I know about basketball. And uh, in those days, if you're the one that fouled, you had to raise your hand. Everybody could see you're the guy that did it. I don't see him doing that anymore. I think it was fun. I wish I hadn't dropped that, but they, who, who did that? I did, you know. Well, uh, when you sin, you can sin and try to get away with it, or you can sin with a high hand, which means, God, I did it. I don't care, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's in your face. And there's people that sin with a high hand. And that's, that's worse uh, than just sinning and not trying to say, God, this is in your face. Trying to get away with something. It's still sin. But they are not clean of hands. Maybe they just, I'm overstate something, maybe they just murdered somebody on the way to the temple. Maybe they stole something on the way to the temple. And the reason that the Lord said, bind my word on your forehead and on your hands is because the word of God is to guide what you do with your hands. It's to guide what you think with your mind. And so the word of God, if it tells me not to do something, then I don't do it. If it tells me to do something, I do it. And when I go to the temple to worship, then David would say, my hands are clean. I have no, I have no blood guiltiness on my hands, Lord. That's why 99% uh, of the time when they're raising their hands in worship, it's to pray. Uh, maybe one time in the whole book it was for singing. But what are they doing? They're praying to God. They're holding their hands open to the Lord, and they're asking God, look down on my hands and see if there's any blood guiltiness there. Am I guilty of anything? If it is, I want to get it taken care of, and I want to go with a clean, clean heart. Well, that's what it was supposed to mean. That's what David meant it to mean. In verses 12 to 14, we see Jesus instructs the disciples concerning the Pharisees to leave them alone because they are the type of plant the Father will one day uproot. The type of plant the Father will one day uproot. Not only will he uproot them, the text says he never planted them. And we need to talk about that. In verse 12, the disciples came and said to him, Hey, the Pharisees, they're offended by what you said. 
And he answered and he said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. So in verse 12, the disciples discerned that Jesus had offended the religious leaders of Israel. It won't be the last time, it wasn't the first, with what he had said today. You know why? Because he cared about people. He cared about the truth. He cared about the fact that these guys were saying to worship God, you have to do all these things that have nothing to do with purity or worship, nothing at all. And he wants to tell people the truth, that when you come before God, he's concerned about your heart. And if it isn't clean, he can make it clean uh, through forgiveness. So the statement is singular in the text. And so probably referring just to the teaching about uh, the place of defilement, where it really comes from. Well, uh, it was an attack on their infatuation with the hand-washing ritual. And they, in the ritual, they, they don't ever do as good a job as the surgeon did this morning. It's probably more like what we do when we're in a hurry to go eat and we, we wash. The word offended here means to be repelled by someone. Here they're repelled by Jesus. In unbelief and so falling into sin, it may also include them being shocked by word or action, that Jesus is actually saying this. As the religious leaders who are supposed to know all about God and know how you get close to God and what it takes to get close to God, the religious leaders continue to build one disbelief upon another disbelief about, G uh, about Jesus. They're going away from him more and more, and this is sin. They're not getting closer to him. It's always a sin to go away from Jesus. It's always better to go to Jesus. Trusting Jesus is the way to righteousness, not tumbling down into unbelief. The issue here is Jesus will feel bad about uh, causing the Pharisees, won't he? And the answer is no, he will not. He will not even be concerned. Uh, verses 13 and 14 are his response. Dr. Craig Keener noted this at this point. He said two things are happening here. Speaking truth is more important than winning influential allies. And that's something that the text is showing. Jesus never uh, sidled up to the religious leaders, tried to get their favor, so that he would have more power in the nation of Israel. He would rather speak the truth. So speaking truth is more important than winning influential allies. And we know we wish there would be people in government that would learn that. One who is planning to be crucified needs not accommodate the opinion of blind guides. And what Dr. Keener means by that is if these guys are blind guides, they don't understand the truth, then, uh, and, and I'm not going to be killed by them, and I'm not going to be around after a while because of them, it's not really an issue for me to care about their opinions or what they say because they're wrong. And then if we could apply that a little more to ourselves, uh, let me quote what it says in Galatians 2.20. It says, I, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to remember that we belong to God, not, not us. We belong to God, not someone else. And if we belong to God, then we need to step out and speak the truth the way God uh, in Jesus Christ spoke the truth. The truth frees people, lies, imprisons them, and makes them in bondage. He also told us to take up our cross and follow him. Paul reminds us that we are sheep in Romans, uh, Romans 8 to be slaughtered for his sake. We should also speak the truth.
like Jesus did. In verse 13, I, I can't read this any other way than what it says. And I know it bothers some people, but it's what it says. It says that the Father in heaven did not plant these religious leaders, and they will be uprooted. Who else could he be talking about in the answer to the disciples' heads uh, about what's going on here and who, who he's talking about but the Pharisees? They certainly represent other weeds in the world as well. I'll clarify that in just a second. If the disciples' goal was all about leaving the door open for the Pharisees, then it is hard to understand the next command Jesus gives the disciples because that's not what's happening. I think what Jesus is alluding to here is the parable of the tares and the wheat. And I wanted to just uh, remind us of that back in chapter 13 that we studied in verse 24 where Jesus said he presents another parable to them and he said the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares, which is a weed that looks like wheat, remember, among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat, it's called Darnell, and, and when the wheat sprouted, it bore grain and the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Rhetorical question. Answer, of course I did. How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy. All right, or uh, uh, the word in, in the Greek is a hostile person has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? In other words, pull the uh, darnel out of, out of the wheat? And he said, no, because while you're out gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, which is a symbol of hell, but gather the wheat into my barns, which is a symbol of heaven. So he just got through saying, every plant which my father, back in Matthew 15, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Let them alone, he says in verse 14. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. It just seems like there's a finality to what Jesus is saying. Don't bother with them. Don't mess with them. They're blind people leading blind people into a pit. And uh, if anybody would have hope for these folks, uh, I would think Jesus would. But he says, don't bother with them. They've already made up their mind. They've set their course. They will not change. And that's the way it reads. If their goal was uh, to leave the door open for the Pharisees, Jesus said, you're worrying about something you don't need to worry about. I think what Jesus is alluding to here is that parable, the weeds and the wheat. And the weeds happen at this point to be the Pharisees. So in verse 14, Jesus tells the disciples, leave them alone. What are they? Well, they are blind guides of the blind. The blind follow them. In other words, those who are spiritually inept, spiritually don't understand about God and his salvation. The Greek word for blind, and this is not going to be earth shattering, the Greek word for blind means that someone can't see and uh, that we would, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what blind means. But in this context, it means that they cannot comprehend spiritual truth. Kind of a bummer if you are a Pharisee who are preachers, right? Jesus just said about the religious leaders of his nation, the people that teach the people the word of God. They're blind and they lead the blind. 
They do not comprehend the word of God. They do not know what it means. They don't understand spiritual truth. What a sad commentary for the religious leaders of the day. The word guides refers to one who assists another in following a path. A true prophet of God in those days, a true man of God, a true preacher of God doesn't lead people down a path away from God. He leads people to God. And they assist in following the right path, leading someone to reach the right desired destination. In the case of the Pharisees, he says they're leading people into the pit, which I think is probably uh, used for hell. I'm pretty sure that the Lord gets utterly upset about spiritual leaders who lead people away from him into a pit. And it will not be a happy day on judgment day for a lot of preachers. Leaving them alone means to distance themselves through an allowable margin of freedom because we don't want to side with those that are leading people away. Dr. Craig Blomberg said here, and I'm quoting, it is not possible for Christians to avoid all offense. Sometimes some people must be hurt, he means offended, so that all people will not be damaged. And that's what's happening here with the religious leaders of Israel. Well, verses 15 to 20. We learn that that which comes out of the mouth from the heart will reveal the heart's defilement, or it could reveal the heart is righteous, depending on what comes out. Peter and the rest of the disciples say, hey, we want to know, uh, Jesus, what do you mean by saying this? And it is possible they realize that, his, that this has far-reaching theological implications, and they want to understand exactly what he meant by what he said. Ceremonial law might be at stake. The New Testament also did away with things in the law, like the Sabbath, like circumcision, and like the dietary laws, which we'll see today. There are people running around today that say we have to keep the dietary laws if we're Christians. Really? Well, they haven't read the book of Mark yet. They haven't read this yet. We'll talk about that. Still, Jesus wonders, why are you so unable to grasp the spiritual reality of these things and their understanding? At this point, everyone should be thinking spiritually about everything Jesus teaches. Jesus addresses the whole group in verse 16. And I think he's looking forward to the day that these apostles do a better job of understanding uh, than the Pharisees do and other hypocrites. What would his assessment of our understanding be today? Do you think we're where Jesus wants us to be? Do you think we uh, would stand up better if he's given a parable we'd understand better? Well, that's always something we should be working on, I think. Always learning and growing in the knowledge of God. In verse 17... Jesus decides they need a little uh, anatomy and physiology lesson uh, that is uh, bringing us back to reality. When we eat food, it goes into our mouth. I think we're all okay with that. Unless we're on a feeding tube or something, it's going to get to the stomach somehow. It goes into the stomach, and then the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Greek text here literally say, says, Jesus said, then it goes into the latrine. A little more graphic, so we can see what, what it's valuable for. Nothing. The end of story. That's all. It is just nutrients for the body. It is not about ritual purity before God. The Pharisees cannot see true purity before God, so they focus on water for the hands and towels to dry them. It's not what goes into the mouth of a person that defiles them. It is what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth has its origin in the heart of a person. 
what is in the heart shows what the reality is. If I took my little tractor and I decided I have to know what's going on in that engine, uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that I, I put in premium diesel, that's good. I put in good oil, all that stuff. But if I want to know what's going on, I have to take a sample of the antifreeze and a sample of the oil. I'm going to look at it and say, well, is that mixed? If it is, I've got a big problem inside. It's what comes out of that that tells me the truth about what's in it, not what I put into it so much. That was an illustration for you farmers and mechanics. Hope you appreciate that. Yeah. The rest of you, I don't know what you're going to do with that, but there you go. Jesus said that you can assess the defilement or purity of a heart by how somebody talks, what they say. And when your mouth runs away with, with you or me, where does it run to? That's the issue. In verse 19, if the heart is bad, then what comes out is bad. Jesus says things like these are bad. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, and slandering. The Pharisees have or are developing evil thoughts, false witnesses, slander, and they're going to murder Jesus. These are the things that defile a person, not failing to wash before a meal. Mark 17, I'm sorry, Mark 7, 19, not 70, Mark 7, 19. Because we have in our day people that are pushing dietary laws from the Old Testament. It says, in the same context that we're in, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And Jesus has the authority to do that. Goodbye dietary laws. In the New Testament, all foods are clean. And that goes against what was written in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Jesus has the right to take an Old Testament law and nullify it, modify it, or ratify it. And here he nullifies it. Uh, let's look at Colossians 2, 16 and 17. In terms of what we're talking about here. Colossians 2, and those are in your bulletin, 16 and 17. says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And before him are all things, and in him all things hold together. I'm in the wrong chapter, but those are good verses. <laughs> you need to remember those. <laughs> and now I'm going to go to chapter 2, and this will make more sense, okay? Um, I just couldn't stop. It was so good. Okay. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things that are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's not exterior hand washing. It's about heart washing, and only the blood of Jesus can do that. Uh, one other place, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. I'll try to get there the first time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then um, I want to look at verses 3 to 4. Paul is talking about hypocritical liars uh, sealed in their own conscience with a branding iron. Verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food, foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by all those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. And that speaks to what Jesus is saying here. Ceremonial cleanliness does not necessarily mean 
that one is morally pure. A Pharisee could wash his hands and still be not morally pure. It all depends on the heart condition of the worshiper. All right? Uh, there were a couple of people that went to Jesus, one of them by night, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And I think that person made that decision. So not all Pharisees are going to be uprooted, but most. We cannot make a requirement for purity of the heart out of man-made rules. We must follow God's rules. And that's how Jesus lived his life. That's why he got in trouble when the men were walking behind him in a grain field and they were threshing wheat on the Sabbath. And they were eating. And David says, you don't understand. Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And Jesus nullified the Sabbath in the New Testament. Now our sign of our covenant is communion. Let me leave you with the uh, five, I said five things in your application that we can learn from this. I'd like to think we've learned things already. Jesus is dealing with what really makes a heart clean. It's not hand washing. It's a relationship with Jesus. Number one, then, leaving the Pharisees alone is akin to Jesus' instruction to not cast your pearls before the swine. Not cast your pearls before the swine. Some people hate Jesus so much, it doesn't matter how much you try to get him to understand that he loves you. They won't hear of it. Number two, the hand-washing issue is an example of New Testament legalism. One cannot gain favor or sainthood with God by keeping legalistic rules. God is looking for hearts that are completely his. That's what he wants. Thirdly, when men make rules to promote spirituality, they show that they don't understand spirituality. Four, ritual, ritual without corresponding pure heart. I'm going to read that again. Ritual without a corresponding pure heart cannot cleanse from defilement. And then the last one is this. The one who deals with sin and has a pure heart before God may ascend into the presence of God. We think about it the next time we pray or open our hands to pray. No blood guiltiness. That's what he wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for clarifying these issues for us. We tend to make rules that are not yours. We tend to hold people to standards that are not yours. All the time having a terrible time just trying to keep the standards that you gave us let alone man-made standards. I pray that you would help us to focus on the truth of this passage, which is you're the only one that can make our hearts clean. If we believe that we are sinners and ask forgiveness and ask you to forgive us of our sins and save us, we get a clean heart. We get a pure heart. Oh, we, we will sin again as long as we're in this flesh, but you'll forgive us and you do forgive us. And we'll try to do what is right in your book and not get caught up in thinking that I'm good by keeping rules, and I'm good, and I'm going to go to heaven by being a good person, which is not a lie, uh, is a lie from uh, the enemy. It's not the truth from you. And I pray that you'd help us to remember these things and live them out. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.